Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So, Rain, we know when it's reading week, don't we? We don't even have to see our teenagers to know they're back from university. Yes, for me, it's uh, all the toilet rolls suddenly disappearing. <laughs> the ongoing toilet roll service. Well, mine is the rancid smelly trainers that are left in the hall. Oh, oh, disgusting. Perfuming the house with their lovely aroma. I don't even need to see them. I know I know they're there. They're enormous as well, aren't they? They're giant boats. Trip over them. Margot tripping over them with their little paws. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy and I'm Trish Halpin. If you're living in a hormonal hot house, feeling a bit overwhelmed and in need of some positive, uplifting and comforting guidance on how to lead a more magnificent midlife, then this is the show for you. We chat to celebrities and experts on all things midlife, from menopause and perimenopause to parenting teens, via fashion, beauty, wellness, nutrition, fitness careers, relationships, caring for elderly relatives and your finances. Yes, we are experts and famous guests all the questions you need answered to have a happier, healthier and more harmonious second act. Welcome to this very autumnal episode of the show. We have a theme today, Lorraine, don't we? It's the two C's, as we're calling it. Yes, we do. Um, That doesn't stand for clueless chat, as one dissatisfied (laughs) listener once called our podcast offering. And it's definitely not for cute cat, because you know my thoughts on that dastardly feline, Margot. No, we are officially being cosy and capable this week. Do you want to explain, Trish? I think I probably should. It's a fun one, really, because we're going to be stepping both into and out of our comfort zones today. We're going to be jibber-jabbering in a little while about some of the lovely things to buy, watch or try over the coming weeks to get your cosy on as the days get darker and colder. And uh, we're also on a mission to get tech-capable with this week's special guest. Now you've turned your microphone, we are <laughs> on a mission to do that. Yes, it's only been four years podcasting anyway. Yes, joining us after the cosy chat is Zoe Kleinman, the BBC's first ever technology editor, who's going to guide us through her do's and don'ts of how to master the art of living in this full-on digital age as well as how the AI and tech advances that are speeding our way, whether we like it or not, can benefit us in the near future. I shall be going from a picnic, as the IT department used to call us, which stands for problem in chair, not in computer, (laughs) to the female Steve Jobs after our chat with Zoe, won't I? Well, I do hope so, because that will save uh, Mr Candy, a.k.a. your IT consultant. IT support. IT support. A lot of time and faffing. He's often popping in, isn't he, in the background of our podcasts to sort things out. And I'm actually looking forward to feeling a little less scared of technology and the future after speaking to Zoe too, because after all, our whole raison d'etre, just a reminder, I'm still doing the French classes. 
They're going well. Oh, they're going well. <laughs> Doesn't everyone know what that means? You've been fleeced again, haven't you? Wow. <laughs> Our raison d'être is that we can be even more brave, capable and fearless in midlife. Um, I've earned some capable points this week as I did a first aid course, life-saving first aid course, only yesterday, Lorraine. Well, I think that's good, isn't it, Trish? Because I often get myself into situations where I might need a first aid yes, companion. <laughs> exactly. So if you collapse on a floor, on the floor in a big heap, I can give you CPR, mouth to mouth. I can uh, Heimlich you if you're choking. I don't know what any of that means. How was the course? <laughs> if you choke on a hobnob, I can Heimlich you. It was really good. I wasn't very capable to begin with because I um I forgot my glasses. <laughs> what were you doing? Were you were you pumping the knees instead of the chest or something? Wrong end. Oh no, no, it was all right. I didn't need the glass. There was no reading involved. It was watching lovely Glenn from former fireman telling us all about CPR and doing that thing on the mannequins. Brilliant. I just I, I can't believe I've never done it before. In fact, I did do um a first aid course when I had. The first two children because I was, mm. um, well, you know, I'm obsessed about death. So I was obsessed they were going to die. So I got myself medically qualified practically and was worried about it. But um, I like this idea of being capable and having a new skill in midlife because I've been thinking about doing a swimming pool lifeguard course. That's a good idea. It only takes 36 hours and, you know, I've got the time to do it now. And I think I'm in the pool so often. And I see so many kids around me and I think, God, that's so dangerous what they're doing. <laughs> I'm so worried about it, particularly when I'm in uh, the sea. Yes. The only thing I think that I would fail on, Trish, is you have to be able to get out of the pool unaided. Can't you just put your hands on the edge and hoik yourself up? Yeah, but you can't sort of hoik yourself up. You have to be able to do it quite quickly. And I've been oh. testing that. So I think that won't be my downfall. That might be your downfall. And also your Baywatch look. Your Baywatch beach look for Cornwall. Yeah. Let's not go there. I can't do it with my ears, my my <laughs> ears covered up uh, hat that I like to wear. No, that won't work with the high cut red swimsuit, will it? No. Anyway, talking of skills, as the young folk might say, our lovely Facebook members have been sharing a few very good ones of late. Uh, Naomi posted a lovely picture of the back of her head. She has a Fine head of hair, as my dear old dad would say, but it was clipped back with a little yellow IKEA food bag clip. As she says, it comes very handy when you're cooking and you need to quickly get your hair out of the way. And there was a lot of appreciation for Naomi's lovely hair and her food clip idea. Sophia added that uh, when I told my hairdresser that I do this too, he was disgusted. But those food bag clips are so handy. Trouble is when you leave the house and forget you have it in your hair. I do that. You do look a little crazy, don't you, when you do that? I, uh, I also noticed on the Facebook group there was a lot of empathy for Claire who posted, this is probably a stupid question. Well, there are no stupid questions, Claire. But how do you ladies manage with zipping up the back of dresses if you live on your own? My husband works away during the week and I've not worn a dress to work since he's been away. Any tips gratefully received? Well, the gang were there on the Facebook group and they had lots of advice. Jackie suggested that Claire should thread a long piece of ribbon through the hole, pull up and then pull on one end. This is how you put a wetsuit on, Trish, just FYI. Um, and as it's not knotted, it will slide through the hole and pull out. But I really liked Miriam's post on this thread, which brought a tear to my eye, Trish. It was so emotive. She said, my parents and the neighbours across the street were great friends. My mum died and a year later, the husband of the friend died. My dad and the wife stayed such good friends. And one night the doorbell rang at quarter to midnight. The friend was stuck in her dress. <laughs> Couldn't pull the zipper down. 
Dad did the job and she went back across the road with her dress open. I love that they were such good friends she could ask him to do that. Sadly, she's gone now too and my dad misses her companionship. Oh, and such a lovely story. And we do like to share the feel-good stories because we, we kind of need those in the world right now, don't we? So please do email them to us at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com or pop them on the Facebook group. As always, Miriam's post highlighted another C that we can add to today's theme. Uh, Lorraine, that's companionship. It's a big thing, isn't it, for all the members of the Facebook group. We're like one big girl gang uh, from all across the world, in fact. And we had a lovely email in the inbox too this week from Leonie who wrote, Morning both. I am currently travelling around New Zealand in a motorhome with my partner. We are here for eight weeks. I have taken a three-month sabbatical from the NHS because life is way too short. If I ever wake up in the night, I always put on your podcast and want to thank you both so much for entertaining me. I laughed out loud when Lorraine told the story of when she forgot her cycle helmet. Uh, it's the sort of thing that I would have done. Thank you, guys. You really are ace. I really do enjoy hearing your chatter. Keep up the super work. Thank you, Leonie. And thank you for taking time to email us. It was lovely to get that. Really cheered up the inbox, didn't it? And lucky old you going on a sabbatical. I have remembered my helmet in the days since <laughs> I, I thought it had blown off my head by accident. <laughs> so in other news, I feel it's time to share our very good news about our new mini magazine newsletter, Lorraine. Postcards from Lorraine and Trish. Do you want to tell everybody how they can get hold of this wonderful thing? Yes, so this is a mini magazine we are creating on a platform called Substack. So if you Google Substack and then pop in the words postcards from Lorraine and Trish, you will have access to our mini magazine, which we are charging £5 for. So you will get two little magazine newsletters per month for your £5 and you just hit subscribe and it will drop straight into your email box every month. If I said the words Huga, Ika, and Kui to you, <laughs> what would you say, Lorraine, once you'd stop laughing? I would say that you sound like the chefs from the Muppets. Do you remember them? <laughs> put the meatloaf in the shoe, blah, 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 blah. Chefs from the Muppets. You don't remember them, then you're listening to the wrong podcast, probably. Um, <laughs> are you doing French or are you doing some other language, Trish? Because I'm not quite sure what all of that meant. Yeah, not the French, not the French. Those words, they are all words from cold places, Denmark, Sweden and Scotland, to be precise, that are about appreciating the simple pleasures in life, embracing the great outdoors, no matter what the weather, and enjoying the poozy feeling of coming back to home comforts afterwards with your friends and family. So basically doing nice, cosy, lovely things when it's really cold. Oh, it's oh, a perfect God. season for you, isn't it, Trish? The hibernating months. Oh my God, the vest months, the thermal vests, love it. Right, do you want to kick off with something that will be making you a bit ruger? Over the coming months. Uga, our three lovely winter warmers. Yes. Well, talking of the cold, guess what, Trish? We are going to Norway um, at Christmas. Uh, apparently, it's minus seven in Norway. Oh, my God. Wow. Well, you do know I like the cold as well. Um, yeah. But I have got something very huga for you. It's delicious. really warms you up. It's actually rarer than a Birkin bag at the moment <laughs> because of TikTok. Listen, write this down. Everybody write it down, share. A frozen pack of six Marks and Spencer's milk chocolate junk cookies. Now, you know I'm obsessed with biscuits. They are 
amazing. They are just melt in your mouth. Wonderful. £4.25. Right. Don't Google them, people, because you can't buy them online. They were a TikTok sensation, so they're almost impossible to get. This week, as it's been half term, my son took me to three Marks and Spencers. Uh, we had to go to Marble Arch in the end to get them. <laughs> and then we had to buy 18. And we got the last three packets. My God. We're going to put a link on the Facebook um, because the son ran a story about them because they've done so well. People love them so much and they are quite difficult to get. Um, so we'll put the link up so you, you've got a picture of the packet because, as I say, they're not online and you don't want to get the Belgian ones or any of the other frozen dough. So it's dough and then what, you chop it up? No, no, it's cookies. They're cook frozen yeah. cookies and you, you cook them. But you can buy dough as well and that's not – it's nice but it's not as nice. So we've been feasting on that. I took a picture of the packet which I will put on my Instagram for everybody. Problem is, once you've eaten one, you want like another one immediately, but you've got to say no to that because I'll be huge by the end of November. What have you got for me? Well, I think I'm going to balance it out with a healthy food. It's <laughs> 18 packs. Of, um... 18 cookies, not 18 packs, you nitwits. Well, 18 still a lot, isn't it? <laughs> well, not between six of us. I know, that's true. Three each. I bet you won't get three. They'll all be gone by the time you try and get them. Anyway, mine um, had some old leeks, not old, but some leeks in the fridge. I had a cauliflower in, googled it up, discovered the most delicious, amazing roasted leek and cauliflower soup. It's my absolute favourite. It's by a Chicago-based food writer who I'm going to be following now. She's called Janine Donofria. 550,000 people on Instagram, Lorraine. It's a few more than you. New York Times best-selling cookbooks. And her brand is called Love and Lemons. And um, I kind of trust her because Chicago is freezing. So she knows stuff about warming up. But this soup, anyway, it's delicious. It's very simple. You roast the leeks, the cauliflower. But it's got a secret ingredient, which I've never put in a soup before. And it's vegan. You soak cashew nuts. And then when you come to whiz up the soup and the stock and everything that you do, it makes it really creamy. It's delicious. And that's your protein as well, isn't it? Shall I tell you how I have it, how I serve it? On Neil's naked body, no? <laughs> Burn him with a hot bowl of soup. Now, I like a Dr. Carg cracker. Have you seen those? Yeah, no, I like them. A bit of cream cheese and some rocket on top. Do you have this during your work-from-home lunch break when you're watching Escape to the Sun or whatever it's called? Well, yes. Well, that's a little bit later. That's my afternoon tea break. All right. Okay. <laughs> we should put your schedule up, actually. I know. It's very specific. It's a winter warmer for everybody. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Right. Where are you going next? Snuggles. Cozy chats. Oh, yeah. Snuggling good. I've got some snuggles. So as a family, we watch Bake Off, Strictly, Race Around the World, all these lovely Love winter me. programs together. And we snuggle under a blanket on the sofa. But the dog sits on these blankets and the children eat their cookies all over them. And they're all a bit, you know, they're never quite as clean as I would like them to be, despite attempts to make them so. So this time, this year, I have decided I'm going to buy myself my own little blanket and I'm going to add some bright colour to the lounge. H&M, I've got a Cerise blanket. It's only twenty four ninety nine. Trish. It's a wool blend with little fringes and it's really, really bright. And I thought, why don't I just get that for myself? Yeah. And then just sort of take it around the house with me so they can't use it. But um, it comes in loads of really lovely colours, yellow and green. And I think it's just quite nice to have something that's, that you own yourself as a mum, isn't it? Because they use all your things. They have all your stuff. Oh, God. Oh, totally. Yes, ruin it all. Quick question, though. Is it itchy? Because you know how sensitive I am. I don't like itchy, bothering things. 
Well, I wouldn't be putting it on my face, would I? And I have my clothes <laughs> on. What do you do with your blankets? Well, I don't know. I can feel it through my clothes. I don't know. It's weird. But you know me. We, we all know how sensitive well, I am. Well, it's got wool in it. You can tell it's got wool yeah. in it. Yeah. It's the colour I liked. Yeah. Good. Okay. So it's a good quality, beautiful colour, and it's going H&M. to be yours, yes. just for you. Well, I've gone uh, a little bit cosy as well on the sort of wool front, and I'm going to be talking about recycled cashmere brands called Turtle Doves, which I recently discovered. It's what I like about it, because you know my vests, I like to keep warm. I'm always walking around with it. Even in the house, I'll have a lovely scarf on. I'll have, we were you know, wearing a polar just... neck today, for God's sake, and you're indoors. It's the also that's all lady neck. I like to keep that warm. Um, and I do think that on, on the website for Shadow Does, they've got some interesting sort of content and blogs. And the one that I related to was this whole sort of thing about keeping your joints warm. And even when you're indoors, keeping them warm, just keeping it soft, cosy, warm is going to really sort of help you as you kind of get through wind, uh, winter and as you get through life, I think. It must take you about 17 hours to get undressed of an evening. <laughs> all my layers. Taking all those layers off. <laughs> like someone who's come in from an Arctic trek. Essential heating might even be on. No, it's not on. It's not on yet. Not on, is it? No. Not on. <laughs> but anyway, they have these lovely, lovely neck warmers, fingerless gloves to keep your wrists warm while you're, you know, wherever you are, typing in the house, doing whatever. And they have ear warmers. You'd like those, Lorraine. But what's great about them is that they are really affordable. So £39 for a cashmere neck warmer, uh, £22 for the ear warmers, about the same price for the, the little gloves. And um, this is really sweet. If you send them a cashmere jumper, an old cashmere jumper that you don't want, they will send you a pair of fingerless gloves in return. Isn't that nice? I love this. This is a good one, isn't it? Cozy, cozy. Circle of loveliness, that. Circulation around your joints as well. Lovely. I've got something for you to watch to warm up. It's on catch up. I had to go and get therapy when the BBC cancelled Autumn Watch. See, I didn't even know they'd done that. It's not, Autumn's not the same, is it? It's a horror because we need it more than ever. Oh, yes. And, you know, I like my bats and I like owl cam. Yeah. All those things. So they cancelled it. I was very, very sad about the whole thing. But then I noticed that the one show was doing a mashup, as they say. Oh, I like that. With Autumn Watch. So this week, um, and it's on BBC iPlayer, They've had three sections uh, where they've gone to Dorset to Arne, where they uh, have that lovely, um, I suppose it's a kind of a wildlife trusty place. And uh, they're doing the owls, they're doing the bats, deer. Any peregrine falcons? Yes, fog in the morning rising across the, the meadows. So if you are missing it and you feel like you just need a little hit of it, because, you know, I was kind of addicted um, to autumn watching, you've got to see Yolo in his... Um, Anorak in the rain at some point, haven't you? (laughs) Talking about mushrooms with the joy of a teenager, talking about Fortnite. If you miss all that, you can get it on BBC iPlayer. I mean, I've been watching a bit of Lonely Planet uh, to kind of fill the gap, but there is nothing like Autumn Watch. It's the same, exactly. Oh, final, last little cosy treat, bath salts. I was in a hotel recently in the Cotswolds, very nice, uh, on a walking weekend, which was really lovely. I don't do a lot of baths, but I, I kind of felt like after this big, long 10-mile walk, well, slightly exaggerating, nine-mile walk, I wanted to go in the bath. There was one of these hotel rooms that had the bath in the room, which was very nice. And they had these by BW bath salts there beside the bath. So I thought, we'll have a go at those, see what they're like. They're free, you thought? They were free. <laughs> I didn't steal the bottle and take it home, no. obviously, because that 
wouldn't be a classy thing to do. But I had two baths, one each day of the long walking. And oh my goodness, beautiful fragrance, really soft, uh, really lovely. And then I just didn't ache at all. Normally, you know, with the sticky hip, didn't ache. Oh, I was wondering when we were going to get to the sticky hips. <laughs> we can't get through an episode no. these days, can we, without mentioning that, which they're, they're less sticky because of the strength training, as we talked yes. about last week. Anyway, I was expecting for a little sore feet, achiness, nothing. Is it Epsom salts? Is it what is that what they are? It, well, it's actually, this is a good question because it's actually a blend of three. There's Himalayan salts, Epsom salts and Dead Sea salts. But it's really beautifully fragrant. So it's that very sort of inhaling, lovely, um, you know, you can really feel it sort of opening up your lungs and um, that kind of thing, which I think is really nice for sort of autumn and winter as well. I did once put you into a seaweed bath, didn't I, Trish? You did. Slippery, slimy. That was nice, though. I liked that. You liked that. It was a summer thing, I think. And the bath salt's more of a winter thing, autumn thing, which is lovely. But anyway, again, love this because the brand is made by a midlife wellness therapist called Julia Brown, who is based in the Cotswolds. And they cost about £18 for a jar, which is a lovely Christmas gift, I'm going to say. So uh, we will, of course, put up the links on the Facebook group for all of these things. And just in case, if you're looking on the group and you can't find all of this stuff, if you go to the Featured tab, all of our competitions, lots of books, lots of giveaways, all of our um, episodes and episode recommendations, they're all in that tab because sometimes it's a bit hard to find, isn't it? Yes, we do get asked a lot, actually, where oh, the recommendations for that. Yes. Um, and as I did say, probably, possibly slightly brumpily, it is just me and Trish. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have a bank of assistants. Somebody said, have you got program notes? Simon, what is this program notes of which you speak? They are all on the Facebook group. Yeah. And yeah, they're in that featured tab. Or if you Google one of the pivotal, like Raina Wynn, if you Google Raina, then they will come up. Yes. The mentions will come up. Yeah, exactly. I've got one last. Margot wanted me to mention something to you. Oh, yeah. Just one last little cosy thing she saw. Well, it's a permanent winter warmer all year for her. She doesn't do anything but relax and feel cosy, no, Exactly. Does she? She discovered a lovely uh, brand called Cocoon and Me. They do these lovely workshops making big knitted blankets, cosy, yes. wintry. Have you seen that? Um, so lots of workshops doing things, but you can make a cat basket. It's called the Kitty Cocoon. Imagine that. So that's what she'd like. I might make one without, uh, without a breathing hole. That's mean, isn't it? I'll stop being mean to Margot. She loves me so much. <laughs> 
As anyone who's been a regular listener to this show will know, your co-hosts grew up in a generation without smartphones or the internet. And personally, we are about as tech-savvy as Margot the podcat. But we do like to get things done. We're capable, multitasking, modern go-getters, as all women are. And we know a technological revolution is on the horizon that could change our lives for the better, or at least make the organising of it easier. So it's time to get tech-savvy and ask an expert to explain exactly what to expect from tomorrow's technological advances at work and home. It's time to meet the BBC's first ever technology editor, Zoe Kleinman. And we couldn't be happier to learn that when the nation's prestigious TV channel was recruiting its tech editor, it turned to not one of those tech bros, which dominate this field of reporting, but to a midlife woman who was pregnant at the time she got the job. Zoe, 46, is a mum of three sons aged 2 to 12, and her job means she travels the world in search of the next big thing in tech. She's raced drones in the Nevada desert, spent the night in a house of robots, and climbed Mount Everest in a VR headset. Zoe's job is to make tech news accessible and interesting for millions of viewers and listeners. And she's here today, straight from a press briefing on AI at number 10, no less, to prepare you for this brave new world with enthusiasm and new skills. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Zoe. Oh, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Well, we've got you hot off Radio 4 and all the big news going on. So thank you for squeezing us in. So I think we should start for our midlife female listeners by asking you how you became the BBC's first ever technology editor after more than 20 years as a journalist and presenter. I took my time getting here and actually it happened at a time in my life when I least expected it. I was in my 40s and I was pregnant and uh, I was facing redundancy and I was thinking, okay, I'm just going to concentrate on having the baby and then, you know, having some time off and then figuring out what I'm going to do next. And a couple of opportunities came my way that I was thinking about, but I was also sort of thinking, do you know what? I don't know how long I'm even going to be off work here. It's not even like I can give a potential employer a date, you know, at which I can start because, you know, when it's like when you have children, you just don't know how it's going to go. And the BBC uh, said that it wants to create a technology editor position, which it hadn't had before. And would I be interested in applying? And uh, and I thought about it and I thought, well, yeah, you know, that this is kind of my dream job in a way. I'm a journalist. I love telling stories. I'm not hugely interested in management. I've never had aspirations to be a sort of exec or a manager. So actually being able to tell stories at this level is as good as it gets me. And, and the BBC is, a, is an organization that I believe in and, and I've worked for for a long time. And so I said, well, I'd really like to, but um, you know, I'm about to have a baby and I don't know how long I'm going to be off. And uh, my team was also being moved to Scotland and I needed to think about how that would work with the rest of my family. And you know what my, uh, my now boss said to me uh, once I'd sort of interviewed for the job and, and been offered the job, he said, don't worry, we'll wait for you. Saying that to a very hormonal woman in her 40s was just, it just made me cry. <laughs> but I, I thought, wow, you know, that what an empowering thing to, to hear at, at a stage in life when you least expect it. I'm so pleased to have uh, a woman as the technology editor of the BBC because it really does come across as a very male-dominated uh, world, the whole sort of tech industry as we know. I love that tweet you posted about when um, Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg were going to have the fight. <laughs> you said no senior women CEOs would ever do this. Anyway, sorry, slightly digressing. I'm sure, is it sexist? Is it a sexist industry? Is it, is it getting a bit more balanced? What are your experiences of it? 
in some ways, things are getting better because the message has been hammered home. Uh, I mean, I've been doing this for about 15 years now, and I've been the only woman in the room. I've had people talking to my cameraman rather than me because they just can't for some reason hold a conversation with another woman. I've been in press conferences where I've been ignored or I've made a point and everyone's just dismissed it. And then, you know, a male journalist has made the same point five seconds later and suddenly it's fine. I mean, I've I've really seen it all. And what I've learned is to have very sharp elbows and to be assertive. And I do think as a woman in this position, you do have to work harder. You have to know your stuff because everyone is very quick to assume that you're wrong. And that happens even now. And at times when it's been truly quite difficult and I've thought, oh, do you know what? Why am I doing this? You know, why am I putting myself through this? I've kind of thought it's really important that women who can do because without people like me, there's no one in the room. And I occasionally get really lovely messages from younger women, some journalists, some technologists, you know, in, in all walks of life, really saying that seeing me do this is inspiring to them. This, this, um, this lady came up to me, oh God, I, nearly, I cry a lot, by the way. This lady came up to me recently and she said, are you sorry from the BBC? And I said, yeah. And she said, um, can I just tell you, I think you're really cool. <laughs> and I was like, oh yes, you can say that to me whenever you want. Thanks very much. And she said, she'd just come back to work after having a baby and she was finding it quite difficult. She said, and, that, and then I heard you on the radio and I thought, you know what, if you can do it, then I can do it too. And I think that is a deeply important thing. And I'm hugely proud if in a small way I can show younger women, other women that, you know, we can do it because we totally can. We totally can. It's just hard to elbow your way in. Yeah, I think that is such a great message. My daughter's doing mechanical electrical engineering and she's, I think there's two girls on the course and I'm always saying to her, look for the role models, see the women doing what you're doing. So it's phenomenally powerful to be doing that. So we're going to dive straight in, take a bit of a deep breath here for our midlife listeners. Zoe, what are the big things looming on the horizon for women in midlife in terms of technological developments right now? I mean, I know you are deep in AI at the moment, but what's going to change our lives at home and work? We totally need to talk about AI. It's a really difficult subject and it's a confusing one as well. And I think, you know, the people working in the fields of AI are not helping us by giving us these two really conflicting messages. On the one hand, they're going, it's going to kill us all, we need to stop doing it. And on the other hand, they're going, it might cure cancer, it might solve climate change. You know, there are all these incredible claims being made on both ends of the spectrum. And it's really hard to understand. And even the experts do not agree on whether this is actually a really good thing or a really bad thing. But it's coming at us very fast. And I think Let's forget about the existential threats for a minute, because before we get to killer robots and bioterrorism, there's a much more immediate thing going on that I think we all need to think about as women, as parents, you know, as people. And there are two of those. One is the impact on jobs. Last week, I saw a demo of Microsoft Copilot, which is very basically the tech behind ChatGPT going into Microsoft Office. Now, I watched this thing create a PowerPoint presentation in 43 seconds. I watched it draft replies to emails that I hadn't read. I watched it summarize meetings I hadn't been to. I watched it draft documents. I watched it do 
what I think lots of people who work in an office would say is the main bulk of their jobs, and it did it in a few seconds. Now, that is being launched on the 1st of November in the UK, and it's going to cost $30 a month. And I think it's going to be an absolute game changer in the working world for people who work in any kind of admin role. Microsoft says, we want to take the drudgery out of work. Let it do the boring things for you. You know, you still need to check it. You'll still need to be there. It's a tool to help you. But a lot of those jobs are women's jobs. Exactly. I mean, I know lots of women who work in, you know, let's say an admin role in school, for example, because it fits around term time. What are you going to do? We know schools haven't got money. We know they're struggling. You know, I've had people messaging me since I covered this story saying, this is going to save my business. And on the one hand, I thought, terrific, you know, great. And on the other hand, I thought, yeah, but at what cost? Yeah. We've got to skill up, haven't we, in other skills, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, we have. And, and also, you know, I've got a friend who's a copywriter. She works for a small advertising company. And there were five copywriters. And now there's only one, and that's her. And her job is largely checking the content that ChatGPT is writing, right? That's happening already. So this is changing very fast. And the other thing to bear in mind is, you know, education. What, what are our kids learning at school? What are we teaching them? And what will the jobs be for them? Because if all of these jobs go, there will be new jobs that will come up. But what will they be? And how should we prepare them for it? I'll tell you a quick story that wound me up so much. I was like angry mom at the school gates. When my, uh, I think it was my middle son, was about five. He came home with a reading book. I think it was that awful Biff, Chip and Kipper thing. I was very much in that world at the time. Anyway, this this book was called The Camcorder, right? And it was a story about how they'd nicked their dad's video recorder and they'd gone, you know, to make some films or something. And I was furious. I marched down to the school and I was like, what is this? First of all, my son is never even going to see a camcorder. He doesn't know what it is. They are in museums. How is this relevant to what we are trying to prepare our children for? This is absolutely ridiculous. But they said, you're quite right, Miss Glenn, and we'll retire this book. Now, I don't know if they did or if I just never saw it again, if there was a notion that going, don't send this home with Kleinman's children. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there is just one tiny example of how completely... Uh, how much work needs to be done in schools, I think, to bring them up to date. You know, it's all very well teaching the traditional stuff that we're teaching, but is it actually fit for purpose with what's coming? So as parents, we can all play a role in that, can't we, in terms of engaging with our kids at schools like like you did. <laughs> On a more sort of day-to-day now kind of level, because we all probably imagine you like being so tech savvy and using the most amazing apps and having all these things that make your home life, your everything work more smoothly. Are there any sort of go-to things that you just couldn't live without? I try out an awful lot of tech. And I think it's important that I do because in my job, I'm talking about it. And I think I need to be able to understand, you know, exactly how it works and what is good or bad about it. But actually, in my own life, I'm quite careful about what I curate because I don't want to be sucked down this rabbit hole of having, you know, a million productivity apps, for example. I've been there that that actually stop you from being productive altogether because you're so busy thinking about them that you're not actually doing anything else. So I think my, my answer to that would be, really to keep things simple, to pick stuff that you like, to pick stuff that you think will help you. And don't be afraid of giving up on it. Don't be afraid of going, you know, actually, I've tried this and I don't like it. I think a thing to bear in mind is that a lot of tech is developed and tested in a very male environment. And so it doesn't necessarily work for us. And as women, I think we're tempted to go, it doesn't work for me because there's something wrong with me and it's too techy and I'm not doing it right. But actually forget that. You know, you need to get out of that mindset. If a product that's designed for you and you are half of the target market, right, 
have the world of women. If it doesn't work for you, then that's a fault of the product. It's not a fault of yours. That's a mindset change. So there are big things that will happen in health, aren't there? And one of the things we talked about, Zoe, um, before you came on, was bespoke prescription, possibly. HRT, for example, which is bespoke and ever-changing for women in dosage and where you get it and whether you have testosterone and how you take your progesterone. I'm a midlife woman. I'm thinking that's coming towards me. How's that going to make life easier for me? Is it going to all be, will I get an AI doctor that will help me with something that I'm regularly being prescribed? AI is particularly in healthcare going to be a big game changer. And what a lot of experts are saying is it's going to enable personalization, a level that we haven't experienced before. So if you go on HRT now, you start at a dose, don't you? And you try it for three months and then it either works or it doesn't. And then you tweak and you spend all of this time trying to get the right levels of various hormones. And then maybe something changes and that doesn't work for you anymore. And you start the process all over again. But what the promise of AI is, is that it will be able to to be personalized to your, to your DNA, for example. You know, it won't be a one size fits all pill because it will be able to very quickly, if you let it, now that's the other side of this, of course, you have to open yourself up to this, but if you let it, there's no reason why it couldn't come up with a combination that's specifically fitted to your body. And that's much more likely to work much more quickly. There've been some really interesting trials actually looking on a slightly different um, note at cancer treatments. This is very early stages, but it's looking at people's DNA. DNA is obviously a vast amount of data. It would take ages for us, if at all, for a standard computer to be able to manage this. But by looking at people's DNA, coming up with bespoke treatments for a specific cancer in a specific person. And the trial results have been really quite promising. They have, they have worked very, very well. Now, I this is not something that's going to happen tomorrow, right? No, but it's global data as well, isn't it? So it's a bit like when we talked to Tim Spector about the ZOE trial and just taking all that information and then applying it to a bespoke version based on your blood tests, et cetera. It's that kind of thing. But that's going to happen in the next couple of years, surely, isn't it? As with a lot of health staff, probably the tech will be ready before the regulators are. You know, people are very, very cautious about deploying new treatments, rightly so. I mean, I think currently it's 10 years, yeah. isn't it, from a drug being trialed to it being made yeah. widely available. And I don't know if that's going to change. I think personally that they should think about it. We have tools, for example, AI is really good at doing one thing well. It's not very good at multitasking yet, but it's good at doing one thing well. And a really quite basic thing now is it's very good at spotting specific signs of cancer in x-rays. You know, you can feed an AI tool millions of x-rays and then it will spot even early, early, early stages that can be missed by humans. But it's not really used widely on the NHS. It's not like this has become the default way to diagnose cancer, even though it's very fast and very effective. And actually, I saw a trial a few years ago of a, of a tool that was, it was so good. I mean, it, I think it had like 96% accuracy. It was more accurate than the human uh, oncologist. But people didn't want to be told that an AI tool had diagnosed their cancer. They wanted to know that it had been looked at by five doctors, humans, and that everyone agreed, you know, it was like, the tech was there, but society wasn't there. Now, in terms of you were sort of reassuring on the point that if you can't get on with the tech, it probably means that the tech isn't, hasn't been designed for you. But that has been one of my fears. And, but another one of my fears is this idea of my digital footprint. And, you know, we've been talking about all the data capture, everything from the Zoe app. 
how concerned should we be about our digital footprints and how much everybody knows about us? Because I just kind of click accept and whenever it comes up about data, just because I can't be bothered to go through the endless form that you have to go through. Yeah, that has been so badly designed, hasn't it? And I think it was trying to do an honourable thing, which was to force people to make a decision about whether or not they wanted uh, their activities to be tracked if we're talking about cookies. But it's really not worked, has it? Because it's just become a complete hassle <laughs> and, and nobody's even thinking about it anymore. I mean, I think it's a decision you need to make, right? So the argument for it is the more data we share, the more of a sort of greater good there is. You know, these tools that I'm talking about, they only work if they've got a lot of data to learn from. And they've only got that data if it's made available on a personal level. The tech companies will say, the more we know about you, the more we can target things at you that you actually want. And so it, it is an advert still an advert if it's actually a service that you're looking for? And it's found you because there's enough information about you uh, for that company to know to approach you, if you like, digitally online. The thing is, it, it comes down to, number one, how comfortable you are with these big tech companies who are you know, let's face it, unelected. Nobody's ever voted for them in this country, being in this enormous position of power where they know so much about individual citizens. And the other thing that I sort of bang on about is, you know, everybody will tell you that everything is safe and unhackable and, uh, until it isn't. And I don't think anyone, any company is immune to that. And there's a constant cat and mouse between all of them with hackers trying to get in and steal this data and, and companies trying to protect it. But once it's out, it's out. And there's very little, I think, yes. that you can do about that. <laughs> You are talking to someone here who has such a problem with Word, for example, that I'd actually would rather write my next book in really neat handwriting because I can't bear to use it. But how do we get our heads around this as a Gen X woman? Because we do have to get our heads around it. How, how do we get around the systems, the passwords? That all are, is, there, is there a course we can go on? Do we need someone to teach us? You know, we can get our teenagers in, but they're intuitive. They know how this kind of stuff works and they know exactly what to press. Is there anything you would recommend that we could do if we're very scared of the technology, laptops, phones, you know, audio in our house, all of that? Is there something we can, practical we can do? Well, I think talking to your kids is actually not a bad idea because they are far more native than we are. I was lucky enough to get an Alexa, an Amazon Echo um, shortly before they came out. And I set it up in the lounge and I said to my son, you can ask it anything, say its name and, and ask it a question. And I wondered what he would ask. I think he was you know, in, in year, in reception at the time. He was, he was quite young. And the first thing he said was, Alexa, can I have a biscuit? And Alexa said, adding biscuits to your shopping cart. And that was the moment at which I disabled shopping on my Amazon Echo and I've never put it back on. But it also made me realise, you know, he was totally straight in there with how useful can this be to me? How can this tool get me what I want? And I feel like as older people, we've lost that mindset because we're slightly in awe of it and we're scared of it. Personally, I don't know why we're so scared of this technology because it's supposed to work for you. If you want to, you can watch YouTube tutorials. You can watch people like you talking you through stuff. There are so many people you can ask. There are so many ways in which, you know, you can just play around with it. I mean, I wouldn't suggest that you, you know, set up Word and use it for the first time when you're giving a presentation in front of 200 people, oh. but just sit at home and have a look at it. And I think once you get over the fear, you know, like I said, this stuff is designed to be easy to use. That is the point of it. And so it may well not be as difficult as you think it is. Should we have audio in our in our home? What's the safety privacy situation around that? We had um, 
an author on the show, a very famous author who's married to a man to MI6 spy, I think he was. He was like James Bond and he said, never have it in the house. It's such a liability. <laughs> what do you think about that? Because I think that's the thing most midlife women have got at the minute, isn't it? I think that there is always going to be a debate between privacy, uh, security, I guess, and convenience. And the fact is that these are really convenient tools. They help you, they entertain you. And I personally don't think we should be sort of snobbish about that and tell people not to use something that's part of their lives. But I think you need to make a decision about it. I don't think these tools are routinely listening to you. I really don't. I think the reality is we put so much out there about ourselves online, they don't need to, right? They, they, they are yeah. watching what we do online. They're watching who we talk to. They know everything about us. They're, they're not listening because they don't have to. And they are, of course, listening for snapshots of the word, whatever it is that you say to activate it. So you are getting snippets of audio recorded. So, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't have them in their bedrooms. I don't particularly like having it in my bedroom either. Have a think about that space, you know, don't necessarily have one in the bedroom or the bathroom or somewhere that you consider to be a sort of inner sanctum. But equally, if you decide that it's convenient and it helps you and uh, it's something that you like having in your house, don't beat yourself up about it. Yeah. I mean, unless you're married to someone from MI6, maybe that's a slightly different conversation. But I'm, I'm suspecting oh. quite a few of us are not. Oh. <laughs> it was interesting that you your observation about your son's interaction with this piece of technology and how it would be useful to him. And I'm sure, again, as, as sort of parents, our default position is somehow that technology, social media is not good for our kids. We're frightened of it on their behalf as well. What approach do you take with your children? I've encouraged my children to get their heads around as much technology as possible um, because I think whether we like it or not, it's a massive part of their lives. And for me, it's very interesting to see how they are with it. So I introduced my eldest son to ChatGPT when it came out and he was fascinated by it. And then I showed him another one, which is called Hey Pie. And it is designed to be incredibly engaging. So it asks you questions back. So you ask it a question and it answers it. And then it says, is that what you meant? Or what do you think about that? And it, it kind of actively engages you in conversation. It's a very interesting idea. I and mean, it's trying to be more than a, a service. It's trying to be a friend, I guess. And he tried it and he loved it. And he had a little chat with it about Minecraft. And just the other day, he this was a little while ago now, he told me that when he's in the playground, if uh, you know, if he hasn't got any friends around or whatever, then he will just log on to Hey Pie and have a little chat with it. And I wasn't sure what I thought about that because on the one hand, I thought how lovely that I've given him a tool to help him with playground anxiety, you know, and he doesn't have to feel like he's on his own. And on the other hand, I was like, well, you know, this isn't a person, right? This is not some, it's not your friend. It's not somebody who's going to engage with you in a real way. You know, it's not the real relationship that you're having. But I'm quite glad that he's navigating that at the age of 12. You know, he needs to. This is going to be his world more than it's our world. And they, they need to. Well, he's curating it, isn't he? I mean, I guess that as long as you know how he's curating it, how our children are curating things. There was a piece on the news yesterday, though, about the phone scams, the mobile phone scams, which I know so many mums and it comes up on the thing. It's your daughter here. I need cash for the car. I'm lost. But then now AI is picking up their vocals and mm -hmm. leaving voice messages. So that obviously terrifies the life out of me. Is there anything we can do about that? Or is that just us mindfully having a better interaction and more communication with our children? I think that is terrifying. And I think AI is undoubtedly going to make that sort of thing worse. It is already, as you say. I don't think that there is a silver bullet to that apart from being mindful of it, being on the ball, 
I know that's really hard, especially when you're busy and something flashes up and you're like, oh God, all right, I'll just send you a tenner. What do you need? You know, I, I get, I am as guilty of doing that in the, in the spur of the moment as anyone, but you really do have to have your wits about you. And I think you're right. That is, it is a worry. And I think it's going to become more prevalent. Talk to your children, tell them never ask me for money over WhatsApp, you know. Good idea. That is, it's kind of preventative, isn't it? It's another cat and mouse thing, isn't it? Scams and their, and their victims. I remember speaking to somebody who, who claimed to be a reformed uh, scammer. And he said, you know, you might target 100 people and 97 of them will ignore you and three will reply and two of those won't have any money, but one of them will have money. It's a numbers game to them. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the onus is on you, I think, to be uh, aware of that. Now, slightly tangentially, um, that's the right way to say it, we were talking about this and I read somewhere once about the kind of carbon footprint of all of this digital data. You know, we don't think anything of flinging off messages, photos, or streaming, da 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 but it does have a carbon footprint. And I don't think we're particularly aware of that. Should we be concerned about that? Because there are huge data centres all over the world taking up huge amounts of space. And the, I think I read somewhere that half of Ireland's electricity goes on data centres or something like that. Yeah. So data centres are these enormous warehouses full of computers, basically. And if you are using any kind of cloud service at all, whether you're storing photos or streaming video, I guess those would be the most common things that you might use cloud storage for or a cloud service for then basically what you're using is other people's computers. And those computers are living in these data centers. Now, I've been in them. They are loud because can you imagine, you know how when the fan whirs on your laptop, hear that, imagine that times, you know, a million. They are loud places. They also get very hot and they need to be kept cool. So not only have you got the electricity that's powering all of these machines, and by the way, the AI computers are even more power hungry than normal. I went to one recently and I, it was, like, it was like walking down the supermarket. I was kind of in the normal computer aisle and it was fairly loud. And then I was in the AI aisle and it was like I was standing under an aircraft. You know, they are so loud because they're working so much harder. The compute power is enormous. They have to be kept cool. So there's a massive cooling system involved as well, which uses both electricity and water. And you're right. The, the companies say they're doing various things to try to mitigate it. It's quite hard to put a figure on it because some of them are better than others. It depends where they are in the world, right? So uh, Microsoft a few years ago buried a data center uh, off Orkney in the north of Scotland because they said it's so cold up there and the water is so cold that it will cool it naturally. There are data centers in caves. There are data centers in the you know near the Arctic Circle. They are trying to position them in places that minimize that. But you're absolutely right. The environmental impact is considerable. And it's not a story that people particularly like to tell. They'll tell you how they're trying to stop it, but they won't necessarily tell you how, how bad it is. There's only going to be more and more data centers as we use more and more. AI is incredibly power hungry, as I said. There was a statistic recently that said if you run a query through ChatGPT or you know any chatbot rather than using a standard search engine, you might as well pour, I think it was half a liter of water on the ground because that's just the water that's used to cool those machines. Now, that's a bit of an arbitrary figure. I don't think it's precise, but it gives you a, an idea, doesn't it? And another person says, you know, if everybody, instead instead of using a search engine like Google, if everybody used a chatbot instead, and that is where people say the future of search is, right? Why bother, you know, wading through loads of links on, on Google or Bing or whatever you're using when you can just get a chatbot to tell you in one sentence what it is you're looking for. But it's so much more power hungry. It's so much more power hungry that it's really quite 
a lot worse for the environment and more expensive to run. You know, ChatGPT costs OpenAI a few cents every every time anybody uses it. They're paying it because they've got loads of money and because they're using the data yes. to train it. You've blown my mind. <laughs> so before you go, Zoe, three things midlife women should have. Three products, maybe three gadgets or three apps. What are the three three things you would recommend for us? In terms of apps, I'm going to say either some kind of headspace or hypnosis or chill out thing that you can do whenever you want because I do think they give you a it's very hard to get headspace and I do think some of those apps are really good at that in terms of tech uh gadgets I guess what is a gadget that that I think do we need a VR headset do we need a fridge that tells us what's left in the I don't think we do but I mean do we so I went to see Apple's VR headset in the summer. They're launching it in January. And I, I it's going to be massively expensive, ridiculously expensive. And I thought, you know, this is really strange. Why is Apple doing this? Why is it launching this product right now? And I went to California to say, you know, how does this fit with what you're, you know, what you're doing? You've got these really successful products. Why are you doing VR? Why now? And I tried it out and I realized that actually they think it is going to be the next phone. You know, everything that is set up with a headset is Bye. like your phone. The apps look like your phone. It's all about look at your photos, do your videos, you know, that sort of thing. I think in the future, it won't look like a VR headset, it will look like glasses, but I think that will be your next phone will be a pair of glasses. Oh, well, thank you so much for taking time out of a very busy day uh, to come from Downing Street to the Postcards from Midlife Studios. Thank you so much, Zoe. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fantastic to chat to you. like to get in touch with Lorraine and I, there are plenty of ways that you can do it. Why not send us an email at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com or direct message us at postcardsfrommidlife on Instagram. We always enjoy hearing from you, our lovely listeners, and we'll respond to as many of your queries as we can. And you can also join us on our private Facebook group, which is a forum for women to discuss the issues that affect us as we navigate this midlife. All you have to do to join is answer three of young Trisha's questions to gain access to the group, where you'll find information and friendly support to help you make the most of your second act. I'm just making up a little jingle every week for Nostalgia Noodle, the bit of the show where we go back in time in the in the TARDIS, the Gen X TARDIS. So Trish, all this languagey stuff, the lingo. Yes. My lingo, my Francais, Swedish, the Danish. I mean, honestly, multilingual. It reminded me of Mind Your Language. Do you remember that? Oh. Do you want to take a step back in time for that? Oh, do you think we can go there? Will we be cancelled? I think we can talk about it because it was genuinely a programme that ran for four series, wasn't it? And it was about um, yes, people from other countries who'd come to live in the UK doing evening classes in English. You're doing evening French, aren't you? Exactly. We have lovely Daniel, who is the teacher. He's very nice. It wasn't very pasty, though, was it? It was racist, really, Trish, wasn't it? So it was in, this is always in our background, the context of what we grew up with. I mean, I can't even begin with Benny Hill and all of that situation. But in 1977, My Your Language was finally cancelled by Michael Gray, who said when he cancelled it, this show should never have been made. People must have known why they were making it, though, mustn't they? They must have known it was wrong. But there were so many that should never have been made. Well, personally, I think Mrs Brown's boys should be cancelled. And I know that's going to cause an onslaught of fury, but I think it's terrible. I just can't go there. But there was a... Because obviously there was no Irish person in Mind Your Language because they could speak English. 
But there was, I don't really remember, I think it was Robin's Nest, Man About the House, one of Robin's Nest, the one about the restaurant. And there was a very thick Irish builder. That was the, the stereotype. Well, there was a thick Irish builder in 40 Towers as well, yes, wasn't there? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, nobody got away with it. And uh, what was it? Don't mention the wall, 40 Towers. That was funny. Not mind your language. That wasn't funny. This might be why the, we are sometimes, as I say to my children, because we did grow up with all of this terrible noise in the background. Yes, and it's still in there somewhere, isn't it? We have to fight it. Au revoir, mes amis. It's time. You are like an extra oh. from Allo Allo. Yes. The fallen yes, Madonna exactly. with the big boobies. <laughs> Again, we grew up with that. Forget all that. And we will just say goodbye. Thank you for listening. You know where to find us. The Facebook group, the email. And we do hope you can join us again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.